Okay, as in go. Sorry, one second. Fork Tales, a podcast that feeds the food and beverage world. Oh, awesome. Fortales is brought to you by Vigor, a branding and marketing agency for passion-driven, innovative restaurant, beverage, and hospitality brands. Learn more at VigorBranding.com. If you love what we're serving up, please give Fortales a five-star review on your podcast service of choice. Think of it as a tip for good service. Hey everyone, today I'm joined by my friend Justin Bartek. He is the director of marketing at Jinya ramen bar for those who don't know uh jinya i think is like one of the best ramen bars out there it is a multi-unit franchise but um don't let that fool you the food is bang on so justin say hello give a little bit of backstory hey thanks man i appreciate it joseph um again jinya ramen is an elevated ramen experience um we are franchised across the u.s and canada um you know, we've got over 40 locations now and we're, we've got a pretty solid growth plan for next year as well, adding between 15 and 20, you know, how it goes with construction and permits <laughs> and all the like. So, um, we'll see how that goes, but, um, really strong brand in the space. Um, our founder and CEO Tomo Takahashi brought the brand here in 2010 from Tokyo where he was a successful restaurateur. Um, and now our job is to grow the brand and really, you know, set it on fire and, and take it everywhere. So it's been a nice challenge. That's awesome. Yeah. So what's always interesting to me is uh, the, the whole ramen movement, right? So for a very long time, stateside here in the U.S., of course, um, ramen was pretty much the struggle meal, like 20 or 30 cents for a little packet. And hey, I mean, most of us loved it. Um, but that switched. What, what do you think, before we get into the trend itself, what do you think makes ramen just so damn good? Man, it's it's really a focus on, you know, it's a Japanese ramen, which is what I deal with, is unique in the way that the preparation, the broth, you know, our pork broth is a 20-hour process. I mean, that's dedication. So, I mean, it's just putting in really high-quality ingredients and then having your recipes really take advantage of those ingredients and adding that umami flavor. Um, when Tomo came here, he actually, you know, we're not doing traditional Japanese ramen. We're doing an elevated ramen that also is tweaked for American tastes. So he did take some tweaks there and it's not, you know, I don't know if you've been to Japan or had official Japanese ramen, but you know, it could be pretty heavy. Uh, the broth can be very heavy. It could have fish in it. It could have many different mm -hmm. things. He kind of simplified it a little and then tried to build it for American tastes. So, um, we do fight that stigma of like, you know, Hey, we got a pack of 30 cent ramen. What's the difference? And it's like, there's a huge difference. I mean, um, like anything it's, it's like you could have lobster mac and cheese or you could have craft, right? There's, there's a huge mm -hmm. difference there, right? It's the same kind of idea where the ingredients you're using and how you're preparing it, uh, makes all the difference. And especially with the broth itself, um, that's a big differentiator. And then even our noodles are made to our spec. So we don't make them in house anymore, but we literally have a company making them to our spec. So they're unique as well so really just trying to make all the parts of the dish itself unique and then with high quality ingredients that's kind of how we got there yeah i think you know the the struggle meal starter for america um i, I think probably helped with the introduction of rama to the, to the united states and you know a lot of times we talk about innovation you know we, we've dealt with a number of concept startups that were just laser focused on oh we're gonna bring schnitzel 
to the U.S. and people are going to love it. Um, and what we always find about that is before you get into the huge challenge of getting people to buy into your brand, getting people to try you out, when you're when you're doing an unknown food, you have to educate them first. What is this? Why should you like it? I mean, and we know people don't have that kind of attention span. So it's like, it's a really big uphill battle, which is why I think a lot of investors always look for um, competing brands. So if you come to an investor and say, oh, I'm going to introduce, I don't know, some sort of obscure food to the US, investors usually are like, eh, I don't know. Uh, it may be delicious, but the amount of money that has to be spent on education is a lot. And so with ramen, you didn't have to educate what people, what you didn't have to educate people what ramen is more, Hey, we're not 30 cent ramen. This is actually right. really good stuff. How have yeah. you tackled that from a marketing standpoint? It's funny. My, my background, I, I come from a lot of growth brands and I come from brands, like you said, that are a little, had a little unique, you know, flavor or a little something about it was different. So it, when I started my restaurant career, my first job was actually with Baja Fresh which at the time was the leader in fast casuals before Chipotle blew up. It was mm -hmm. early in the game. They had 300 locations and it was like, they sort of invented a category. So with that, I learned a lot of just how do you differentiate this from a, something you make at home to something that's at a real Mexican restaurant. I say real, but you know, not a fast casual Baja fresh restaurant. Um, from there, I, I kind of, you know, I went to veggie grill, which is all vegan and vegetarian. And this is before 2014 when it's like, you know, it's, it's a, still kind of a new concept. If you're not on the West coast, not everyone's mm -hmm. eating that way. So learning about that style of food, learning about that customer base, what sets them off, what do they like, you know, and they all have different causes in that world where it's like, I'm just taking care of animals or I'm eating healthy or I'm doing this. So you learn what are these triggers and, and how do you kind of attack that in a marketing way of like, how do I, how do I give them that, that that feeling of like they own it, you know, because they all think they do. So that was another learning. And then I, I went to Halal Guys and it's like they are inventing a category to this day where it's like if you've been to the cart, you understand that experience. But trying to sell that to middle America was also, you know, a challenge. So in my career itself, I've kind of dealt with this everywhere and mm -hmm. I've learned a lot. But what it, what it really comes down to is um, the best marketing is word of mouth, really. I mean, our customers are telling people that about the experience, about the look and feel, about the taste of the the ramen and they're doing the best job they're doing a better job than i ever could and it's because we execute in the restaurants and we have a huge you know um, push for operational excellence we believe in kaizen which is the japanese business practice of constant elevation always trying to improve always trying to improve every facet of the business and when when that's your marker and, and your ceo and founder pushes for that it, it allows us to try many things and it allows us to kind of do things in different ways where he's open to it because as long as we're trying to elevate the business that's what he really strives for and what wants us to do so in my experience i just kind of lean in on the guests you already have and hopefully they'll you know keep telling people but our sales are very strong and i think it's working but it's just touching the right person at the right time kind of getting getting it in front of them at the right time that's what i try to work on so obviously a lot of digital marketing there and really trying to you know figure out who is the customer and then hit them you know where they want to see us you know so that's kind of been the challenge and what we're trying to figure out yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, um, of course, food has to be good. And I think in, in, in Jinya's specific case, the food is really good. Um, so that sparks some word of mouth. But do you do you seed guests? Is there a request to talk about it? And like, um, are you saying, hey, if you love this, check us out on Yelp or drop a review? How, how do you 
spark word of mouth outside of hope? Yeah, it's kind of we've designed the menu in a way too, where it's, there's, you know, tapas items on there. There's a lot of different things you can try. So it's not just ramen. It's not just one thing. It can be, it can kind of work for a lot of different folks. And then the other part about it is we've kind of tried to make it about craft beer, tapas and ramen. So it's like, there's a lot of lanes there in our new build outs. We've got, you know, bars, full bars with TVs in there. So we're kind of getting into that space of the happy hour crowd a little bit, trying to market to those folks. So, I look at it like, um, you know, just trying to define who the customer is. And then from there, once you have that definition, then putting the resources to where those folks are. So a lot of Instagram, of course, a lot of display, a lot of, you know, Google SEO, of course, I try to have an always on strategy and do it hyper locally. So every location is developing its own digital audience. So we're fi- we're figuring out that like Tulsa, Oklahoma is a different customer than Atlanta is a different customer than Southern California. Right. But what we're doing that's unique here is really building that out on a, on a store by store basis so that all the digital things we do kind of, the snowball starts rolling down the hill. And if my franchisees put in their own, you know, LSM dollars, they're just adding to what I'm doing with the marketing budget, where it's like, we're finding these lookalikes, we're finding new people that already like our brand or that that are interacting with our brand that are clicking our website that are ordering, we're finding more of them. And then we're just targeting them over and over and just hammering them. Right. And that's how we go one by one at a time. So there's no silver bullet strategy. There's no, like, we can do this one tactic. It's going to work. It's like define who that customer is in that local audience and then find more of them. And that's what we've been doing this year and it's working very well but it is a process it takes time and it takes more dollars and it, and it grows on itself but that's how i've tried to attack it um, with tools that you know can kind of do more than one thing like for me it's a very small group here we've got about you know 12 to 15 people in our office i'm i have a social media person and me and that's it in marketing right so i can't hold a lot of hands i have to find products and i have to find services that will help everybody who want to be helped right you always yeah. have some of those franchisees that they never reach out they're just kind of on their own island and it's like okay you know i'm here for you here's some programs that can definitely help you and here's some programs that are helping you because i've set them up for you but if you don't want that other help then I, you know i got to focus on people that either want it or need it you know so a lot of our franchisees are kind of out there um trying to do the best thing for their business so my job is to provide tools that will allow that so like yext having the listings correct everywhere is huge mm-hmm. for us you know um we've got that in place doing digital marketing. We use a company called Hyperlocology that helps us define those audiences on a store by store level. Um, we've got campaigns on the shelf that have approved creative video and pictures, but we've got, you know, lunch, dinner, happy hour, hiring, which is huge, obviously. And Uh, off the shelf, these guys can just say, Hey, I want to spend 300 bucks this month here. I pick the creative. It's a three-step process. Put in the credit card number. Boom. You start building on what I've already started building for you. And all you're doing is adding to that for your business. So that's how I've tried to attack it where I can help you, but also help yourself, you know, and it's, it's working well so far. Um, we've got PR partner champion, which, you know, does a ton of work in the space. Um, they've, got a lot of brands like Raising Cane's and other folks out there where, you know, they, they're on it too. So we're out there in the media. I mean, you probably see me on LinkedIn. There's always something out there going on. We've got new stores coming. We've got menu refreshes. Um, We did a deal with Impossible Foods 
to go back to the menu, it's like we're trying to elevate that menu and keep that as well with the, with the partnership with Impossible. We switched out all of our vegan meats. Now they're Impossible. So with that comes their name. We can you know lean on their yeah. brand a little bit with that and kind of build new things. And Tomo is always about, you know, he wants to be on that cutting edge. He's kind of a, a bleeding edge guy. He's a mm-hmm. visionary. He's a CEO who doesn't have a desk in our office. You know, he kind of comes and goes, but like the final decision is his. And we just try to bring him innovative new things and then he'll run with it if he wants to. If not, we'll find something else. You know, that's my job. I, I find the partners, I find the partnerships, and then we just make it happen. So it's kind of a team team effort for, for sure. Yeah, I love it. I think that's where a lot of especially new franchises go wrong is, you know, they have their operational systems together, usually, mostly. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, they have the, the logo and some things like that. But then they lack the tools and they don't, they underestimate how important it is to have those marketing tools in place and those marketing efforts working like a machine. And so what you end up seeing is you see people struggle to build those tools. Um, and in that struggle, I mean, the minute a franchisee can, can wiggle, they will. Um, the minute they sense a weakness in the system, they'll grab the bull by the horns, pun intended, and do it themselves their way. And that is a horrible way to start a relationship or even try to uh, get it back into line because um, they just start stampeding. And next thing you know, you have out of control franchisees who don't trust you. Um, right. So it's great that you have those things in there. And I, and I can't underscore enough how important it is to truly think local at all costs. So um, I think you and I may have talked to this when I was talked about this when I was out there, but I remember a few years back Ford motor company launched a bunch of ads here in Atlanta and, you know, had a, had a pretty picture on Instagram, you know, it's a Ford on a highway. I think it may have even been the Atlanta skyline. Good for them. Um, Good enough. Right. Except the caption read something along the lines of when you're stuck on the 8575, and, you know, uh, and, and yada, yada, it feels good to be comfortable or something like that. And for most people, that's pretty innocuous. Nothing, nothing to raise flags about there, except for one word, the right in Atlanta, we don't call it the 8575 <laughs> and it is a hallmark of West coaster. And it's yes. like, yeah. And, and, and the comments showed it hundreds of comments. Like obviously your California agency didn't do research. And so being local yeah. is, it is tough and it's nuanced. So how do you, how do you approach that? Yeah, man. Guilty is charged. The 405, the 101. <laughs> that's me all day. So I get you. Um, yeah. Really, you know, what we're trying well, to and, do. And it could flip too, yeah. right? Like yeah. like if an Atlanta agency tried to write for California, <laughs> it, it would not, you know what I mean? They, they would need to know that nuance. Yes, 100%. Um, I would say, you know, how I really try to attack that is instead of getting granular and saying, okay, what's different about these markets? I just try to let the data tell the story because it's it's honestly, we're in so many markets. Like I, I can't visit them all. I can't talk to the owners enough. You know, like there's not enough I can do to really understand that. So I, I, I really try to let the data, you know, tell the story and kind of guide us. So, um, you know, f- we're figuring out, like we thought, you know, that our, our age range was, you know, 18 to 35. Like that's, that's our target. We're going to hammer these people over and over. But then we find in, in Nebraska in Omaha or in Bellevue, Washington, maybe it's a little different, you know, maybe it skews a little higher. And so we, we kind of try to follow the data and let that tell us, you know, who is this customer who's clicking, who's doing this, you know, that's one way we attack that. The other way is, you know, you, you mentioned about 
trying to keep everything uniform operationally and, you know, not letting franchisees run wild, as, as you say. Um, we have pretty good controls in place there. And what, what I've found is funny. You're exactly right. If you're not communicating with your franchisees on the why, it, they can go rogue very easily. When we came here, we have a new executive team as of literally January 2020. Our COO started. I started in February. Our director of IT started in February. Director of training started in February, right? We're a, we're a new executive team pretty much. When mm-hmm. we came here, we had to kind of on the fly diagnose what are the franchisee issues? How do we fix them? You know, right away. We want to start with a clean slate with these guys, but let's hear them out. What what were the issues? You know, what, what was going wrong? Was it a supply chain issue? Was it this? Was it that? We'll figure it out. So we came in with that mindset. And then I think just honestly doing the work is how we got, you know, to where we are now, where it's like we're signing new franchisees. A real, you know, thing of health in the franchise world are your current franchisees building. You know, have they quit mm. or are they are they actively investing? They're investing now. You know, we've got these guys that have been here seven, eight years, more stores. You know, we've got a guy in Houston who has eight locations. He's about to build another one. So it's like these are signs where it's like when I got here, they might have been the loudest, squeakiest wheels. Now they're building again. You know, so it's like that's great. Having to build that trust is really what it was all about. And for me, it was really difficult because I've only been to like two markets. I've been to Atlanta and I've been to Charlotte because of COVID. We couldn't travel. There was no reason for me to go out there. But it's like I still haven't met a lot of these guys face to face. I haven't sat mm-hmm. down in the same room with them. You know, everything's been email, phone calls and Zooms. But like, you know how it is when I met you in person. That's different than doing this. You know, it's like, it really, Absolutely. you know, you can kind of understand people in a different way when you're in the same room you can kind of get down to the brass tacks if you will of what what is the issue you know let's figure it out Mm -hmm. face to face we haven't had that you know so it's just an extra challenge but what's great here it's like that kaizen attitude it's like they know we're trying to push and make this stuff better now they know you know that our our if you will our heart is in the right place like we want everyone to succeed and i found that you know if these guys follow the blueprint which is literally our store in studio city which you've been to with me that store hit its all-time sales record last Monday. Did seventeen thousand oh, wow. dollars in a day with zero alcohol sales. We don't have a bar there, you know. So it just shows, like, if you follow this format, it works. You know, it might yeah. not be easy, and it might it might be pain points, and you might have to do a little extra. But like, if you follow what we're telling you, it works, and it's been proven out. We've had that restaurant eleven years, and we hit the sales record literally last week. So it's like. We're elevating. We're trying to do what we can there. But really, if a franchisee just follows along with the program, they're going to be successful. When they start straying off of it and trying to do their own thing or unapproved signage or unapproved deals or getting into the POS and trying to change the key, all this stuff that they do, right? Yeah. Just yep. follow the program and you'll be fine. You know, like we, we've we proven it. So right. that's that's what I tell the new ones, you know, and, and what's great, the new ones buy right in. Oh, great. Okay, let's do it. We just opened in Charlotte about a month and a half ago killer sales it's just a great market for us you know they were really waiting yeah. for us to get there and it's like those people are going by the book you know what do we need team how can we get this how do we do this you know and it's just it really does work and then you have some try to short it you know they try to cut corners they, they don't want to spend the money on the marketing they don't want to do pr when they open it's like you guys like this is proven we've done this before yeah if you don't yes. do these things you're not going to be successful if you do these things you will be successful so that's kind of how we try to attack that yeah, it's it's almost you know I think there's a lot of work that has to be done in, in franchise sales that oftentimes isn't done, and that is <clears throat> this is as much of a decision for for you to accept them into the family as it is for them to want to join the family and pay to be a part of it. Of course, um, a lot of times that work isn't done because 
it seems to me like if, if someone wants to be a money saver, it's probably a bad fit, especially when there's a system so well put together um, as Jinya. Um, you know, I always make the distinction. There's money savers. There's money makers. If you want to right. save money, go to a bank. You know, um, if you want to make money, you have to do marketing. You have to focus on operations and you have to be willing to, like you said, put in the work and sometimes the hard work because the hard work is that's what everyone else won't do. And that's, I think, what separates, you know, uh, you know, the bull from the calves. I don't know. I'll just make more bull puns. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, so how do you um, how do you spark what maybe I would call constant reinvigoration. So you mentioned you had uh, franchisees that were maybe not building and now they're building again. What did you do to, to start to instill that, um, that excitement around the brand again? I think it, it kind of just took time for those folks to be comfortable with what we're doing, meaning all the executive team, you know, we've kind of pivoted away from some things they used to do here and kind of went into more structure or more, you know, Hey, we're picking this partner and here's why. And again, it goes back to the why with this brand, there was a lot of issues with communication, simple hmm. communication, because we have a Japanese founder. He does not speak English. I use a translator with him in my meetings every week. Right. So mm. it's, it's a different set of expectations, but it's also harder, harder to communicate. And I think that was where we were losing, we're getting lost in communication, you know, in translation, if you will, with our franchisees. So when we came here, we, we recognized that right away and said, okay, we can't do things the way we used to do, which maybe would be, we're not going to explain why just do this. That doesn't work in a franchise world, right? It doesn't work when every franchisee, I consider them, they're all CEOs, they're CEOs of their own little world, right? So if you're not treating them that way and you're saying you're a child, do this because I told you, that doesn't go far, especially with people, like you said, that have put their own money on the line or have built other things that aren't this restaurant. It's like they want to be treated with respect. So it's about the why. And we weren't doing that before we got here. I can just tell there wasn't a lot of that. It was like, hey, here's your new thing you have to do. Well, right. Well, then there's no answer or just do it. Shut up. Right. Yeah. (laughs) We got to do the why, because it's like we're doing this stuff on purpose to help them and make it better for everybody. So, like, if you just explain that up front, even if they don't fully understand it, they respect that. Okay, great. You're trying to make it better or you're bringing in this. I get it. Okay, it might cost me a little bit of money, but in the future, here's the payoff. Or if we do this now, then we're setting ourselves up for success. That happened with things like when we got here, our stores were not set up for online ordering. Like all the stores could not do online ordering because we had NCR. Some of them were on, you know, version 11 from like eight years ago. Right. So Mm, it's like mm -hmm. the tech was out of date. First thing we have to do, everyone get on essentials, you know, get, get where it's at least where you get all the software updates because we want to have the the freshest technology. Always. We want to help you build sales. If you don't have that, that's a foundational piece. You know, you can't do online ordering then. What are we doing? You know, what are we doing here then? You know, so right away we had to make that you know, that was a huge one right out of the gate where it's like, we got to get everyone on board with this. So we worked on it, took six months, you know, got them all compliant, got them all up to speed, turned on online ordering. Here we go. You know, and it's in the middle of the pandemic. So we, they needed it, you know, so it was a forced innovation, but now we're better off as a brand. So when that happened, I think they saw that and they said, Oh, okay. These guys are serious. You know, like they're trying to make this go right now. And it was like, there was no time to wait around during COVID. I mean, I started three weeks before the lockdown. 
So it's like yeah. I was thrown yeah. right into the fire and then we had to let go of 90% of the folks, you know? So it's like we were bare bones in here. And it's like the franchisees, I'm sure they were freaking out, but it's like stay the course. We got to do some investing, even though this is terrible, because we just need to get our head above water and be able to perform online ordering, right? So there was a lot of that. But I think over that time, it's like we've slowly built this rapport with them and where they're now believing in these things we're trying to do and they're understanding them because we're doing extra to explain it. Like we didn't have a monthly newsletter, let's say when we all came, we put that in. So it's just a little helpful. Each department writes, you know, a few pages. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we're working on. Here's new things you can look out for. That goes a long way. And I'm sure some of them don't even read it. You know what I mean? But like, that's the franchise world. It's like, some aren't going to read it, but the ones that do, I go, wow, you guys are really doing that's great. You know, thank you. Just little, little communication things. So the communication part was huge. And I think that's what we're still pushing for. Just getting in front of them. Like, I can't wait till we have a real franchise conference here and I can sit in the room with everybody and really meet with partners and do the whole thing, you know, because it just adds to the strength of the brand. So, yeah, that rapport, I mean, it's so critical. And, And I love what you said there. I think a lot of leaders, maybe miss the mark on this, especially when you get into franchise world, which is it's not just explaining what um, or how. It really is why. And not not in the ethereal Simon Sinek, you know, find your why kind of world, but literally just draw the parallels between what and how we do things and then how does that connect? What's the bigger picture? So a good example of that, and this is in every business really, um, time tracking in the agency world is like this everybody's just like, uh, time track. It's mythical. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just so, I mean, it's so cumbersome and annoying. It gets in the way of creative. And I've heard every excuse. I've even said some of those excuses. However, when I was able to sit the agency down and say, look, this is why we want to do time tracking. It's not because we're looking for a way to aha you and be like, ah, you didn't work enough today. It's not that. And, I, and what I did is I just, I drew the line. I'm like, when you track your time efficiently, I can then run reports on work streams and I can say, okay, we estimated this. We charged for this. It, you know, this is how much time we put into it collectively. How far off are we? So when I go to do a similar project and a client's like, oh, we only have X budget. I can say, I can tell you right now we can't do it. Mm-hmm. And I can say it with confidence because I don't want to bring that work in and essentially pay to work on a project. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, so when you're tracking your time, you're empowering us to alleviate pressure on you as a designer, because we have plenty of time baked in for you to do your job. Well, um, that means better work-life balance. That means less stress, you know? And they're like, Oh, okay. This makes total (laughs) sense now. And so it's the same thing for franchisees. It's like, yeah, I realize this is an investment of money and effort, but here, if you just follow me down this path, let me show you the uh, the promised land. You know, uh, of course, profitability, revenue, on and on. And like, so you see an expense, but this is you know not to you know many people have done this, but this is really an investment. And here is the return. Right. And it sounds like you've you've been pretty good at at leading the collective horses to uh, water. Um, yeah. So one thing that that was interesting to me about Jinya is not just how good the food is or even the experience. Uh, and of course the marketing guy's pretty rad. Um, it's uh, <laughs> to date, there's many ramen places out there that are doing a great job, but Jinya has somehow gotten to that multi-unit level. Why? 
how how did how did it elevate itself beyond the competing brands to to basically become capable of being multi-unit which is a tough feat honestly i think it was really just the drive of our founder and ceo of wanting to do it right at, at the beginning 2010 of course i wasn't here for that but in the stories i hear and the stories i hear from the early franchisees you know when we didn't have systems really we we didn't know what we were doing you know like every brand starts that way right if you're chef driven and it's like you start with your own restaurant and then you start franchising you don't know everything of course you don't right and especially if you've never been a part of a franchise experience and you've only done your own thing which is what we had here so i think it was just years of learning and then getting the right team here now where it's like from day one with these guys i've i felt just a very positive vibe from all these team members. There was not even a guy where you're like, eh, he's okay, but you know, no, it was like, we were all Jerry. on the same page. Yeah, and we just knew. Jer Jerry's well, very yeah. carrying his weight, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there wasn't a lot of that, you know? So it's like, we all kind of had worked at other brands. We knew what needed to be done and we kind of got on the same page right away with that. But it's been um, a different experience with um, trying to grow the thing. And, um, you know, over time, it's just like we, we keep falling back to that excellence, the excellence of the food operations, you know, keeping that Kaizen mindset. It's like it really is our core and it's what we believed in for years. And it's just we keep pushing that home, you know, over and over. And if you keep hearing the message, if you're a franchisee, you start to get it over time and you start to understand this is why we swap, you know, we do a quarterly menu swap and we have chef specials. And this is why you might have to order that new ingredient because we're trying to provide some excitement or something new. It's not to punish you or make you buy ingredients you don't have already or make it difficult. It's just we need to keep evolving. We need to keep reaching for that light, you know, at the end of the tunnel, if, if you will. And, and it never you know, you never get there, but you're searching for it and you're trying to get there every day. So it's just a constant elevation. It's like um, getting them to buy into that in the past, maybe it was more difficult, but once they've now seen this holistic picture of like, okay, Justin's really kicking ass for us trying to get this marketing stuff up and running. He's doing the right things and he's trying to use data and he's, things we've never done here. You know, he's trying to be smart about where he's spending our money. He's not spending it on American Airlines and the magazine. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not effective. Like, and when I came here, they were doing that, right? So it's like, oh, wow. they trust me already because I've already been putting in these things and I've been talking about it. I've been very, you know, communicating with anyone who wants to listen. This is the why. This is why I want to do this. This is why it works. This is my experience. I've already used these tools at other places. This is why you do it. Okay, great. You know, that's all they want because you know what? They're making money. Like we're not a sales challenge organization. So now it's how do we optimize? How do we make more money? How do we get this food in new people's mouths? How do we find new customers? Like that's the challenges. And then there's also like for me, the cool part where it's like at Halal Guys, I was doing shoe collaborations. I was working with artists. I was working with photographers in New York City that were famous because they wanted to work for the brand and they loved it. I want to build that here. I want to make yeah. this the coolest ramen brand where it's like, how does this brand with 50 locations do this movie tie in or how did they do this? Or, you know, like that's the stuff that's really exciting to me. But first you need that blocking and tackling. You need the tactics. You need to figure out who the customer is. You need just that solid base. And I think we're getting there now. So now it's going to be, how do we make this even bigger, cooler? How do we find new, new and interesting things, partnerships? Like that's where it gets real fun for me personally, but we did need that whole base. You know, we needed to, to get this thing right and we're getting there but it's a challenge you know but it's just getting them to listen getting them on board and then they start seeing things oh wow look the brand's in the news again oh look at this pr oh they're doing this oh wow you know like it just starts to grow on itself and then everyone's kind of excited to be a part of it 
Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I mean, so you mentioned that uh, the brand started uh, in 2010. So elevated ramen or, or just, you know, higher end ramen, it's been going strong for a while now. Um, do you think it's showing any signs of slowing and or is this like superseding trend and becoming a part of an American diet mainstay, which is a huge I mean, that'd be great because I mean, what do we have? We have, we have hamburgers, pizza, right. um, tacos or slash, you know, Tex-Mex chicken, you yeah. know, well, that's do you I think ramen is there. Yeah, it's. I don't think it's there yet, but that's been Tomo's goal from day one. He wanted it to be just like going to get a burger, going to get, you know, a burrito. He wants that for America. That's been his goal. So like when you think about that, I, I, I'm, I'm going to say we're getting there, but we only have 40 locations, right? So it's like, we're not there yet. Like we're going to need more locations to really do that. But in the markets we're in, we're very popular and we stand out. And it's because of that service piece. It's because of the taste of the food, the quality. You walk into a Ginya, the music's pumping. You got a bar in there. It's loud. It's, it's hip for young people. Like he has a good grasp of what that means and what they're looking for. And, um, we really just try to execute on that. Right. So like, keep it fun, keep it fresh. If you go into our stores, the design is amazing. I mean, we're using high quality finishes in there. It's like, when you go in there, you're like, wow, this is elevated. You feel it right when you walk in the door. It doesn't look like a ramen mom and pop shop at all. You know, it has a different vibe and they're all that way. And, you know, unique designs. We've got even our geisha that's on every wall at every Virginia. That's a part of the brand. It's part of the culture. It's just, you know, um, an elevated experience isn't just the food, it's all of it. So we kind of recognize that and we've, our franchisees have bought into that and they understand like, okay, these chairs might be a little more than you're using at your other brand that you probably have, right? Or this table or these finishes might be more expensive, but the payoff is at the end when our customers come in, they see it, they love it. They keep coming back. You know, they want that experience over and over. So it's, it's really worked and it's, it's Tomo's vision that's got us there. But now it's like, we're trying to work fire on all cylinders and up every part of the brand, you know, not just the menu, not just the marketing, not just the inside look and feel, but like all of it. Let's get even better franchise partners that are that have done this before that really want to grow. Like all these things are going to snowball because they see the elevated experience. And to your point about, you know, about investors and things like that or trying to push a category out there, we found that actually, you know, especially landlords really love our brand because it's unique, because we show mm. you the AUV and then they go, oh, wow, this is something that I don't have in my portfolio. So it's actually helped us to kind of built this to this point, And now we're getting into these even better real estate scenarios as well. I love it. Yeah. I mean, everything just builds upon the next. And I think um, <clears throat> that's what actually makes it hard to do a turnaround too, is when you come in, you're like, okay, everything is messed up. Where do you even start? Uh, but that's great that you and, and the new folks that were hired were able to identify at least the things in your lane, but then collaborate is what it sounds like. Um, and it sounds like there's just a lot of upward momentum, Virginia. I'm kind of excited to see where this this brand goes. Yeah, man. it's uh, It's been fun so far. It's funny. I just, what I do, dude, I just believe in myself. Like, I know it's going to work because of the force of nature. I'll just make it work. If I can't, that's okay too. Maybe it's not the right thing or maybe something was off. But like, I just believe in, you know, when I go somewhere, it's like, I like working with these brands that are exciting, that are new category, yeah. that are out there on the on the bleeding edge, if you will. Like that's what's exciting to me. It's like if I had to go work at McDonald's and be some, you know, peg on the, 
you know, bored. <laughs> That's not, doesn't sound very fun. I like working directly with CEOs and upper management and really being a part of it and like helping really guide it. Because at this point in my career, I've seen a lot of things, you know, and I understand what I really understand is people like, that's what I've come back to. It's like the relationship building, listening, you know, that's what I'm really good at is relationships and listening. Like that's, that's, that's what I'm good at. That's what I, my, my mom used to sit there when I was a kid and there'd be some, one of her friends over, you know, after school and I'd be jealous. Cause like she's sitting there talking to my mom and I'm not getting any attention, but my mom was a listener. Everyone would dump their problems on my mom. And just from osmosis, I would hear this. And it's like, it kind of shaped my personality in a weird way where I didn't mean for it to, but like, I know how to listen to people and I, I can take what you're telling me and then help you or try to make, make it better. You know, like that's, that's really what it's about, but really the relationship part is huge. And I don't, I don't think enough brands and businesses focus on that. They're always focused on the bottom line or sales or whatever, but the relationships will get you there. So it's, it's really a part of my DNA. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's such a, I hate to say it, but it's always a byproduct, Right. And that's, I say that all the time. Like, of course we want sales. Of course we want a successful business. But the means to the end is not driving towards that. It's it's all the things that you do that that's on the other side. That just comes out the other side. You have to do all the other stuff first to get there. Um, so it's pretty great. I mean, I, I love I love what you shared so far. One big question, final question, is it's your final meal on planet Earth. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to eat? Is it with a specific restaurant or is it just a specific food? And, and why is that your final meal? Man. That is, that's, you know, that's the hardest question probably. Of course. (laughs) um, (laughs) I would say it might not be a specific meal or maybe it can be, but like, I'm, I'm a huge Mexican food fan, obviously living in SoCal for most of my life. Um, My wife is Mexican. I think I told you that, but like the home cooked meal from her aunts, they make this green salsa that goes on enchiladas. That is like literally my favorite thing. Like during Christmas, we'll make, 200 of them on you know big platters and then we'll take home a bunch and like you eat that for a month kind of thing because you have so much extra that's literally my favorite and it's very simple but it's just like that kind of home-cooked meal you know like whole beans on the stove you know like making your own rice like all that real mexican food that you're doing at home that's that's my my jam and especially if you can make your own tortillas now we're talking you know flour tortillas for sure like that's that's it for me so it would be it would be a home cooked mexican meal probably from my wife's you know aunts like they're they're just amazing they learned that from grandma she probably learned it from her mother you know like that kind of thing is it's hard yeah. to find, but out here there's a lot more of it, obviously. But um, I think that's that would be it for me. I love that. Yeah, I was just in Pennsylvania a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I, I was able to carve out a little bit of time with my mom. So we hopped over to my aunt's house, and uh, she made a, a Puerto Rican dish called pollo guisado, which is essentially mm-hmm. like a, a chicken stew. And there's so many layers to that. And, and when it's done right, it is just so good. Over top of rice, like forget it. It's amazing. It's better than red beans and rice. It's it's just um, next level. And so yeah, when you uh, hey, next time next time you come out, I'll take you to a spot. Um, it's called La Colonia Publica, and they all they do is fideo, and it's I love your it. own ingredients, and it's so killer, man. Like they must spend all day on that broth, but I'll take you there. You'll love it. It's really really good stuff. I'm into it, man. I love it. <laughs> well, that's great. Hey, Justin, thanks for sharing a little bit of insight on um, how you've been manning that helm at Ginya. I'm excited to see what's next for the brand and you. And um, yeah, just I appreciate you taking the time out. Definitely, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. If you 
love what we've served up, please follow us at Vigor Branding on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Medium. Fork Tales is produced by the team at Vigor. Audio and video post-productions provided by Zencaster. Music performed by Jet Trash and licensed through musicbed.com. Joseph handles his own hair, makeup, and stunts. Copyright 2003 to 2021, Vigor Graphic Design, LLC, all rights reserved.